0: Along the eastern shores of this great country is the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, which for the last few years has seemed to stand for almighty Clemson and challengers. And with the Tigers coming off their second national championship in three years and no end in sight, how close will those challengers come in 2019? After trading off playoff victories each of the last four seasons and the national championship trophy in each of the last three, history would suggest that it's Bama's turn this year. But the Tigers want to prove that unlike in the alphabet, C comes before A. If they can restock their D-line and gain some LBs, they might just roll the tide and repeat. Florida State wants to be great once again. With the addition of OC Kendall Bryles to run the offense and a slew of athletic talent on defense, the Knolls may start to draw near the pole position atop the Atlantic. Dino Babers has the cues in the news again and he's trying to open everyone's eyes to the idea that the Orange have staying power in the ACC. But a lot of their hopes for 2019 rest on quarterback Tommy DeVito and a new offensive line to help capitalize the O for the Orange. In Winston-Salem, Wake Forest hopes to wake sleeping giants around them, but they'll need their quarterback to go from good to great. Whether it be Hartman or Newman, one of them better be the man for the Deeks to be demons in the Atlantic. Speaking of quarterbacks, NC State loses a good one, and still seems to be trying to find which of their young prospects can emerge as the next great wolf pack pack leader. They'll have two good backs to back them, but the defense has to limit their PPG in ACC and PLAY. At BC, there's an RB who is A1 if he's okay, but their QB will need to be the one to help them get some Ws. Losing so much on D, though, could make some BC fans lose their S. The villain is out of the bill and new coach Scott Satterfield has to climb the hill, but he's scaled higher terrain before. In a rebuild year, can he get the Cardinals to make other teams see red? Over in the Coastal, Virginia Tech had a roller coaster year in 2018, but finished strong to keep the nation's longest bowl streak alive. In famed D coordinator Bud Foster's final year, they should have an appropriately strong defense to foster the Hokies to their second coaster Championship in four seasons under head coach Justin Fuente, Miami pulled in many from the transfer portal, most notably Tate Martel, along with some other Power 5 moves. But it won't matter who switched jerseys if the guys with the big ones up front and any one of their three QBs can't find their fit in this new Dan Enos offense. Virginia is the darling pick of the division this year, but Wahoo fans will say who cares if they can't get it done in their first real shot at a division title in nearly a decade. Speaking of division champs, Pitt must defend their Coastal Crown, but without the aid of their two thousand-yard backs of steel Steelfield. If they get it done again with this roster, Crown Narduzzi, Coach of the Year, and consider Pitt to have turned the corner. North Carolina will benefit from the return of the match, and with some of the best assistant coaching hires of any changing program, coaching a good group of young talent, expect the Heels to lay the foundation for a brighter blue future. Duke, true to their color, may be a darker blue with the loss of their best quarterback in program history, and a handful of top receivers, not to mention their three best defenders from a season ago. Similar to Narduzzi at Pitt, if the magician David Cutcliffe could formulate a champion with this green group of Blue Devils, hand him the headman man hardly. And at Georgia Tech, we're all happy for Jeff Collins in getting his dream back. But turning the dream into a team is going to take some time. Especially since he inherited a roster of a different scheme. Fourteen teams on the cast, broken into two parts to help you last. ACC on the BFC. Who the contender's gonna be? Listen and you'll see. Or hear. On a bowl full of chips. Right now. Boom, bump, it's a bowl full of chips. Boom, bump, it's a of chips. Two -hmm. young brothers brothers Talking college football
1: And life and humor And some funny ass clips
0: So relax and unwind With a bowl full of chips Hey, 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 college football fans, welcome to episodes 49 and 50 on a bowl full of chips, the gold anniversary episode from the boys in maroon and gold. I am Chippewa Chappie, and you all know my co-host, Bip the Chip. Bip, it's ACC week, and we are down to just 18 days before the first game of the 2019 season, one that features a team from this coastal conference, the Miami Hurricanes. Bip, on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your excitement level right now, brother?
1: Chappie gotta go with a fifteen in honor of the conference that we'll be discussing tonight. And yes, I am adding in the de facto uh member, Notre Dame, despite the fact that we won't be covering the Golden Domers tonight. We're not in a conference. (laughs) (laughs) But how goes your your level of excitement tonight, my friend?
0: Yeah, I've been uh I've been at about a nine point five for the last week or so. And (laughs) I would say I'm at, you know, higher than that. Only you know, but it's, it's the fact that it's still 18 days away, and there is still kind of this grind of looking at teams and and digging and digging and, and looking at stories and whatnot, but don't get me wrong, college football fans, every moment that I get that's free, I am checking the phone, I'm going online, <laughs> I'm seeing what sort of news I get it from the Twitter feed, and, you know, legit news in terms of injuries, in terms of things that can help us, as opposed to... Uh, blind opinions with little backing that Twitter is so good at spewing out. But we love it, and many would accuse us of the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm ripping, roaring, ready to go here, BIP. So we've dug into the divisions of the SEC and the Big Ten, and last week we bragged about the boys of the Big 12. Today we try to ace the ACC. And with each and every episode, we worked to deliver you a little more in-depth coverage and insight than the other college football podcasts out there. Because here at BFC, we bring football closer. That's right. You're listening to A bowlful of Chips, the college football podcast that's solid as Howard's Rock, as stylish as Miami's turnover chain, and with a work ethic represented like Virginia Tech's lunch pail. And we do it all as proverbial walk-ons, not yet on scholarship, but aiming to land the announcement someday, somehow. If A bowlful of Chips isn't enough and you find yourself hungry for more stuff in real time, please give us a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit.
1: And I am at BFCBip.
0: If you already follow, share our handle with others, like our posts, retweet the goodness, and even DM us with questions or commentary. Remember, the college football talk has no offseason. You can also visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowl Full of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information, including lists, rankings, and upcoming previews, as well as the previous conferences we've looked at. So we have our SEC preview for 2019 most of what we spewed about on the air but more stuff written down on ink so those of you who are tired of listening and want to just look and read with your eyes you got it there as well as the big 10 the big 12 and we'll be posting our acc preview coming up this week as well find links to our previous podcast and contact us at bowl of chips gmail.com so Tonight, we've got ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference in 2019. Now, of course, they boast college football's national champion, but they also boast a lot of other teams that, while some might say are not the best, relatively speaking, compared to the SEC teams and the Big Ten teams, no offense, ACC followers, but certainly a lot of competitive fire and a a lot of close-knit teams that really could go anywhere from you know, second through fifth in the Atlantic and anywhere from first through sixth in the coastal division. So we're going to break down those teams tonight, Bip and I. So we will start with the coastal division and I'm going to start us off, Bip, my number one team in the coastal division in the ACC 2019. I'm going to go with the Virginia Tech Hokies. Now I have them finishing 10 and three, six and three in conference. And That record is an added game because they will be playing in the ACC championship, according to my projections. And we'll talk about who in just a minute. So ponder that and see if you can figure out and crack that code. (laughs) But um, so looking at Virginia Tech last year, a, a pretty bitter disappointment. They were only at four wins going into their last two games of the season, which included their rivalry against Virginia. And then, of course, the makeup game against Marshall, both of games which they had to win in order to just be eligible for a bowl, which we learned was now the longest active bowl streak because Florida State did not make it. So um, they were fighting for that, and then, of course, they played Cincinnati in their bowl game and lost that game. So they ended up with a losing record, a lot of fight, but you know just really mediocre on a lot of levels. So looking at them offensively, they were mediocre in offense, pretty much ranking anywhere from 50 to 60 in most relevant offensive categories their backfield though this year bip is better than they're given credit for especially ryan willis at quarterback so here's a guy we talked about him before he transferred over from kansas and i know that you know when you're part of the fan base and you see oh a kansas transfer you (laughs) kind of have the thumbs down and you're going but you know ryan willis i think made good use of his opportunity with playing time last year when josh jackson went down with injury willis stepped up uh, didn't have eye-popping stats, but I mean, you look across the board. He completed 59% of his passes, 2,700 yards. Had a really impressive 24 to nine touchdown to interception ratio. And I know nine interceptions is kind of teetering around that. Well, that's too many. But when you compare that with 24 touchdowns going up uh, in the ACC against some pretty good defenses, I think that's saying something for for Ryan Willis. And I think that that's a big plus for them coming back this year in their backfield. He's joined by Deshaun McLeese. And a guy I think that everybody should watch out for, Terrius Wheatley, who is the son of Tyrone Wheatley. Wheatley only carried the ball 21 times last year in a limited role, but averaged six yards per carry. He did score a touchdown. McLeese, who's going to be their feature back this year, averaged 4.5 a pop, rushed for 468 yards. Now, these are our rush totals that are not going to jump off the board at you. But I think what we saw was two backs who have good leg drive, uh, you know, certainly a foundation to work with. And I think with a much improved offensive line this year, that's going to make them even better. I think that's going to give better protection for Willis at quarterback. And you know, they've got some athletes at wide receiver. I know that the the transfer portal took a couple away from them at wide receiver and also at tight end. But Trey Turner was one of the more exciting players in the ACC last year. Damon Hazleton was their uh their leading receiver, fifty one catches, fifteen point seven yards per reception last year. But I think what we're gonna see this year in Blacksburg is kind of the Iowa of the Atlantic coast in that they're gonna have two very good tight ends, Dalton Keene and also James Mitchell, who was a guy who really jumped off the pages in spring ball this year. And almost every one of his offensive teammates, you know, when reporters were asking who was somebody that stood out to you, James Mitchell's name was somebody that really uh got used quite often. So so keep an eye out for those two guys, especially as security blankets down the middle of the field for Willis. Defensively, sad to say that Bud Foster, this is going to be his swan song this year. He announced that he will retire after this season. I think that's going to be a good motivating factor for the Hokie defense. They've got a lot returning on that side of the ball, and I think that this group will be the reason that they get back to the ACC title game in Justin Fuentes' uh, what is it, his third year, fourth year overall at um, At Virginia Tech now I know their D was a problem last year especially against explosion plays they gave up some big yardage and also against the run but they were good in the red zone they were 30th in the country in stopping teams from scoring inside the 20 and they've got a lot of good talent coming back because of injuries they were able to play some younger players last year especially at linebacker and in the secondary I think they've got one of the better back sevens in the conference and they've got uh Athletic talent, especially coming in from the junior college ranks at uh, on that defensive front. So two good linebackers in Richard Ashby and Dax Holyfield. I like their safety, Reggie Floyd. They've also got, um, you know, a, a divine Diablo. And then also um, a, a young guy that, that came in and, and really made a splash this spring was um, uh, J.R. Walker, who coaches are really high on. Bud Foster spoke. At length about Walker, who's a freshman. He was in for the spring, uh, you know, a decent recruit. They also have Khalil Ladler, so you know, good, good linebackers, good secondary, and I think that you know, solid play on that back end is going to allow that defensive front to kind of gel and mold. And and I know that that was a point of emphasis this offseason, season, BIPs. So, um, you know, they've it's Virginia Tech. They're they're always going to be competitive. I think Justin Fuente is is going to get back to be a respected offensive play caller this year. And, and that offense is going to be better than what we saw a year ago. I think the defense is going to be much improved. And those are the reasons why I see the Hokies finishing at six and three. Now I know six and three is not necessarily a conference record that gives a lot of confidence, but again, this is the coastal division of the ACC and it's wide open. That's really anybody's game. So the losses I see them going, I, I, I like the Hokies to start off seven and oh, then they, after their second bye, they go and travel to Notre Dame in what's going to be a marquee matchup. I think they lose to the Irish. Um, and then they they rattle off consecutive wins against Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and Pitt. And then I think they lose the Commonwealth Cup game at Virginia this year. But that puts them at 6-2. and two in the regular season and with um, you know, the tiebreakers that's going to vault them into that ACC championship game. So again, six and two in the regular season, 10 and two in the regular season, but I like the Hokies at number one on the coastal bit.
1: I like that, Chappie. Um, I like uh, Virginia Tech going into this year as well. I'm not as high on them uh, as you are, as I have them finishing third in the Coastal this year. Um, lots to like uh, with this Hokey team. I really like Ryan Willis. I think that he was really underrated last year. Really a lot more mobile than what people like to give him credit for. Finished with 350 yards rushing last year, and you mentioned his passing totals. I also like their group of receivers this year. They suffered a big loss with Eric Kuma transferring, and I'm still scratching my head as to why he went to Old Dominion, but um, they still returned four of their top five receivers – all of them had at least 25 catches and 340 yards last year. Damon Hazleton, to me, is the top receiver that no one talked about last year. And yeah. uh, like you said, Trey Turner is a big play waiting to happen. I have questions about their offensive line as they only return to, and the eligibility of their center uh, that transferred in from Coastal Carolina, Brock Hoffman, is still up in the air right now. Um, so if they don't get him, they could have some issues on that offensive line. And at backfield, um, I It's solid, but nothing wows me about any of their backs. Um, So unless one of them comes in and breaks out this year, I have questions about them in the running game, but I still like this offense overall defensively you think Bud Foster has been wanting to get that bad taste out of his mouth from last year. And as you mentioned, this is going to be his last season and he's got lots to work with. So the Hokies return upwards of 11 starters from last year. That includes their top five tacklers and 16 of their top 18 tacklers from last year. Biggest loss being Ricky Walker at defensive tackle, which was a big one, but they do return three on that defensive line. And I think this group of linebackers comes as close as any in the ACC to rivaling Miami this year. I really like Rashard Ashby. And I think um Dax Holyfield is going to be someone to keep an eye out for he had 60 tackles last year I think he could double that this year I think he's that good and that secondary returns just about everyone so this defense should be really good much improved from last year I have them finishing nine and three six and two I have them losing at Miami losing their non-conference at Notre Dame and then losing the final game of the year at Virginia which may tip uh, who I have, in the one and they won in two spots just a little bit. But uh, the Hokies come in for me at number three, Chappie.
0: Yeah, and, and a name that I, I meant to throw out there on that defensive line
1: uh, Deshaun Crawford. He is a junior college
0: transfer. He came in uh, a lot of his defensive teammates and even Bud Foster as well. were talking about him and what he can do at defensive tackle teaming up with Jared Hewitt, who is just a, a beast inside one of the stronger players on that on that team. And if you have good defensive tackle play, especially in a Bud Foster style defense, that four, three, four, two, five hybrid, um, you're going to get even better play out of your back seven. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I like Foster and what he can do. And going back to that run game, I I really am going to go all in on Terrius Wheatley. I think he could be the feature back that kind of carries this hokey offense. I could see him going over 1,000 yards. He was very dynamic as a kick returner last year. and Like I said, when he got the ball in his hands, 6 yards per carry, even though it's a smaller sample size, I think, Um, you know, with, with the talents of Willis at quarterback and those receivers on the outside, I think that's going to open things up. And Justin Fuente, we knew from his time at Memphis, if he can get good uh, skill guys on the outside and good play out of his quarterback, then that makes his running backs even better. So watch for that this year for, for uh, the Hokies. Yep. So let's go to you. Let's who's your number one pick. I, I know it's one of two teams and I'm going to guess, is it Miami?
1: Yeah, I fell into the trap Uh, with the the transfer portal. No, 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 no.
0: I'm glad you're going that way because, (laughs) and I'll talk about Virginia in a minute, but I'm glad you didn't fall into the trap of picking Virginia to No, no. Go ahead. Yeah, so...
1: Miami's one of the biggest unknowns in the country this year. New coach, new offense, and a whole mess of transfers coming in. Um, so Manny Diaz, obviously he's going to be taking over as head coach as he gave Temple a high five as a head coach uh, for the Owls <laughs> and then returned to Coral Gables uh, for an upgrade and, and understandably so which is great news for Hurricane fans as this defense should continue to be just as mean and nasty as it was the past few years under his watch as defensive coordinator. More importantly, the hiring of Dan Eno says offensive coordinator should start to resemble a competent offense for the Hurricanes so they can stop being the LSU of the ACC. So they return <laughs> they return only four on offense, but the U gets three transfers that are expected to be starters. Starts all at um, quarterback with highly profiled Tate Martell coming in at quarterback and he oh, may be the most. There? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he may be the most talked about transfer in the country, despite Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields changing teams this offseason as well. Um, very talented quarterback, but uh, doesn't have as much to go off uh, from his career at Ohio state. I wasn't really impressed with him this past year in the red zone and the Buckeyes brought him in and he, wasn't given a ton of opportunity obviously because he was sitting behind Dwayne Haskins. So is he more sizzle than steak or is he going to be the guy to finally break through at quarterback for the hurricanes as this is one of those situations to where this could work out unbelievably well for the hurricanes or it could easily blow up in their face. And they're looking at a quarterback situation similar to what they had last year with uh Nicosi Perry and Malik Rozier. Um, at wide receiver, K.J. Osborne comes in from Buffalo after having led the Bulls and receiving with 892 yards and seven touchdowns, also averaged 16.8 yards per catch. So um, kind of an unheralded transfer amongst everyone else that they got, but a good one for them. They get Jeff Thomas back, who led the Hurricanes in receiving last year while averaging more than 16 yards per uh, catch. His off-the-field issues will be something to keep an eye out for as he's seemingly always moments away from being kicked off the team, and he was already basically in an Illinois uniform before they – Brought him back for the Hurricanes. I was going
0: to say he's a pseudo transfer from Illinois. (laughs)
1: Yes, exactly. So at uh, tight end, they do um, they have Brevin Jordan coming back, uh, who was impressed a lot as a true freshman last year, and he's got the talent to be one of the best tight ends in the country this year. I'm really excited to see how he's utilized in that Danny Nos offense to see what he does this year. Running back returns last year's backup, DJ Dallas, who ran for over 600 yards and six touchdowns while averaging 5.7 yards per carry. And he's going to be backed up by Lorenzo Lingard and Cameron Harris, who are both true sophomores and highly talented. So some good depth for the, uh, the hurricanes there in the backfield and paving the way for Miami will be an offensive line that finished in the 40s for rushing yards and sacks allowed last year, but loses three starters. They gain Tommy Kennedy at left at left tackle from Butler, and their best offensive lineman from last year, Navon Donaldson, returns. So that offense is going to be one that could be much, much improved from last year with everything that they have coming back and the new guys that they have coming in defensively it's going to be hard to replace guys like joe jackson and daryl uh gerald willis on the defensive line and miami's going to be searching for a pass rusher this year luckily for them they return jonathan garvin at defensive end who finished with five and a half sacks himself and 17 tackles for loss they also returned pat bethel at tackle nesta silvera who, who steps into the other tackle spot and was one of their top recruits last year and they get Trayvon Hill, who could be in for a big year if he can stay off the, uh, out of trouble off the field, as he started off really strong for Virginia Tech last year, but was kicked off the team after three games. So if they can keep him on the field, I think that he could be that double-digit sack guy uh, for the Hurricanes this year. At linebacker, as I already mentioned, they'll have the best group of linebackers, not only in the conference, but I think in the country. Michael Mm Pinkney and Shaquille Quarterman should both be all ACC first teamers and could challenge for all-American status, and they return all three to to that group. In the secondary, they return only one, but he's a good one in Trazon Bandy. Bandy Mm -hmm. finished with three picks and eight passes defended and figures to be one of the best corners in the country this year. They also get Bubba Bolden in at safety, who transferred from USC, and big things are expected from him. So... Miami will continue to be a defensive team first, and if they can get good quarterback play this year, finally, I think they can be the second-best team in the ACC. I have them finishing 10-2, and losing their opener against Florida, but then rebounding and winning the rest of their games, but losing at Florida State uh, to finish 10-2 and overall, 7-1 and in the conference, and uh, making it to that ACC championship game, Chappy,
0: Yeah, I... I, I, I think they're a year away. I just can't pull okay. the trigger. And, and in the offseason, when we saw all these slew of transfers, immediately I was trigger happy, and I said, yes, Miami could contend uh, not only for the Coastal, but they might even give Clemson a decent run for their money in the ACC championship game. But then I started to think about it, and I wondered, okay, new head coach who's never been a head coach before, mm-hmm. uh, new players who are brought in, and let's face it, a lot of them, at least at the surface, seem like these prima donna type players. I mean, Tate Martell, Bubba Bolden, Travon Hill, a lot of guys who ran into some personal issues and chemistry issues at their yep. previous stops. You know, and again, I'm not trying to judge these guys, but looking from the outside in and, and reading the tea leaves, it's not like they're getting these, um, you know, gentleman uh, guy next door type players who are coming in and are just going to be a great fit with the existing teammates. Um, Now, of course, there are some guys like K.J. Osborne, who I think was a home run hit in terms of the transfer portal. I think keeping Jeff Thomas was big, and hopefully he takes this second chance opportunity now that Mark Richter's gone. It sounded like those two butted heads, Manny Diaz... uh, from everything that I've seen in the past and everything that I've heard seems like a a true players coach, Right, but is that going to be a a plus or a minus? Because sometimes you get these player coaches and they're more buddies with the guys that they're coaching and they just can't manage them because they're so worried about, you know, their, their personal relationship as opposed to their coaching relationship. So to me, I have Miami finishing second um, and I have them going nine and three, six and two. And really, I have him losing to Virginia tech and that's why I have him finishing second. Even though they get the Hokies in Miami, I just don't know that Diaz is going to be ready to win that marquee game that he needs to win in year one. So um, breaking down the hurricanes. I think it's a chic pick because of all that they got in the transfer market. And again, I fell susceptible to that in the off season, but taking a deeper dive, I, I'm not completely sold on it. There's like I said, that question of chemistry, the new coaches and how they'll blend with the current roster. Now, I think that they have a great combination of defensive minds in Manny Diaz and Blake Baker, who they brought over from Louisiana Tech. Um, So we'll start with the defense. Good all around. Number one in pass defense. I'm sorry, pass efficiency defense last year. So in terms of making plays on the ball when it's in the air, limiting completions, limiting big uh, you know big plays, keeping the ball out of the end zone through the through the passing game. They were the best in the country a year ago, ago, and they were number three in limiting explosive plays. So this Miami defense basically kept everything in front of the sticks for the most part, and that's why they were as successful as they were, even despite their offensive deficiencies. They do have to replace three starters, but they get some pretty good replacements. So Jonathan Garvin you talked about, he's the ACC's leading returning tackle for loss guy. Shaq Quarterman was third. Uh, and Michael Pinckney with seven. So there you go. Three guys in that front seven who are in the top seven in terms of returning ACC defenders in tackles for loss. So they know how to get behind the line of scrimmage and, and create havoc. I agree with you. The best trio of linebackers in the country and a lockdown swagger corner in Bandy. Um, they're going to be aggressive, and you know, getting Baker from Louisiana Tech, who's run some pretty good defenses over the years, with fewer talent riches than he'll have in South Beach. Um, they're going to need to be better, though, in the red zone, and they weren't great against the run a year ago. So aside from maybe North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Florida State, they really don't face any teams that pose any serious rushing threats, so I think that that plays to their advantage. But again, having those three linebackers and some quick safeties and quick corners who are good tackling on the edge, I think that's going to make them a better run defense this year. Uh, Offensively, the run game should be a strength. I think that their run game might be underrated believe it or not they were 45th in rushing a year ago and they have they returned their top three running backs you touched on dallas and lingard and harris all averaged 5.7 yards per carry or better a year ago talented wide receivers who are going to be volatile in more ways than one keep an eye out for their top recruit jeremiah payton a lot of his teammates when asked you know who's a young guy that you see Playing a lot this year. Peyton's name was most consistently mentioned. So maybe as a fourth or fifth wide receiver, I think that by by season's end, he's going to be a freshman that's going to get a lot of touches on the outside and downfield. Big question at quarterback. Whoever plays should be better than last year's 115th pass efficiency ranking. And a lot of Miami insiders are actually calling for Jaron Williams, who right now I've seen pretty much third on the depth chart, even looking at Phil Steele's magazine, and he's, you know pretty a pretty inside resource he has him at, at third I'm not sold on the cozy Perry I'm still not sold on Tate Martell although I think he gives them the best option to win because of the fact that you know I think his gunslinger mentality and his kind of um, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win mentality even if it goes against the coach's wishes I think that that might pay off and, and play into that Miami psyche more so than it would for any other player so um, I'm going to go with Martell as being the guy who gives him the best shot of winning Offensive line was top third in terms of fewest sacks and tackles for loss, like you alluded to, but they do have to replace three starters, and they have some talent coming in. And you mentioned Tommy Kennedy, who I was feeling good about, but I I heard that he really disappointed a lot this spring. Now, I know you can't take a lot from the spring. Maybe he was nursing some sort of injury we don't know about. Things can really turn around in the fall, and for Miami's fortunes, they're going to need to have him and maybe another offensive lineman step up to Team up with um, Delone scafie and Devon Donaldson, who are really the the veterans coming back to to make that offense even better. So good run game, but again, I think Miami is a year away, and I have them at second in the Coastal nine and two. I'm sorry, nine and three, six and two overall. And
1: yeah. And and I think that uh, the Miami coaching staff is crossing their fingers that Tate Martell wins that uh, quarterback competition, not only because he's arguably the most talented of the group and maybe gives them the best chance to win, but if he transfers and you have all of Miami faithful getting behind this guy and he doesn't trot out as the starter, it's only going to be a matter of time before they start getting all over um, the coaching staff and, and start asking the question of why not Martel, why not Martell? especially if whoever they plug in there starts to struggle, uh, which could lead to, like I mentioned, a whole new uh, quarterback issue like they've had the last couple of years.
0: Yep. And that's the can of worms you open when this transfer portal becomes free agency. You know, I mean, yep, if, it's, exactly. if it's somebody who was recruited and sought after for a couple of years since his junior year in high school, that's different. The fan base can kind of get around it. But now that it's kind of this, um, you know, new flash in the pan, it's kind of all or nothing. So, yeah. I agree. I could see it both ways. Martell doesn't trot out. The fan base is saying what's going on. Why not? And The first mistake that either of the other quarterbacks makes, they're going to want him in. Or he does trot out there. He starts. He doesn't beat Florida, which I think that they lose that game. I think they lose to Florida, Virginia Tech, and Florida State. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have these fans saying, well, why did you make such a big deal? Why did we go all in on Tate Martell in the transfer market? (laughs) Why didn't you go for these Miami recruited guys like Perry and Williams who were hurricanes from the from the start, so I think it's really going to be, um, you know, very thin margin of error for Manny Diaz. But that's what you get when you when you take that Power Five job. That, that's right. So well, uh, sure. I'm sorry, I uh, didn't mean to cut you off there. Let's get to number yep. three in the coastal. So um, I'm going to go with the Virginia Cavaliers, and I have them finishing eight and four, five and three in ACC play. And again, this is a team that I heard on a podcast the other day that the ACC media or the ACC coaches, one of the two, and maybe it was both picked Virginia to win the coastal division. And, you know, I've seen it from a lot of preseason magazines. I've seen it all over Twitter. Everybody is so high on UVA. Again, this is another very chic pick in this competitive division. I'm not sold on it. And let me explain here. Why Bryce Perkins, is really everybody's preseason All-ACC Player of the Year on offense because he had a a good season last year. I wouldn't call it a great season, although a lot of people are calling it that. He's a good quarterback. But he may be getting just a bit too much hype um, this early in the preseason. And I kind of liken it to how A.J. Dillon was for Boston College last year. B.C. was kind of the the Virginia of 2018 where they had a pretty good year in 2017 and Dylan was a Heisman type candidate and everybody said okay the guy's going to rattle 2,000 yards they're going to challenge Clemson and he was hurt last year I get that but you know when he didn't perform the rest of his teammates around him were not good enough to elevate their player or to to play in spite of him and I don't see Virginia having those playmakers at quarterback or at receiver to compensate for I'm sorry, not a quarterback, a running back, to compensate for if Bryce Perkins gets a little bit wobbled or if he uh you know has some lackluster games. So um so much of their success rides on Bryce Perkins. And again, I think that those two teams, BC last year and Virginia this year, are very similar. So Perkins was efficient. He was um completed sixty four point five percent of his passes, twenty six hundred yards, twenty five to nine touchdown to interception ratio, which everybody raves about that. But Biff, we talked about Ryan Willis, he was he had one less touchdown and the same number of interceptions and nobody talks about him. Right. Um, and I think that he's got a better skill set around him than Perkins does. So in terms of the the rush offense, Perkins was their number two rusher last year. He ran for eleven hundred and eighty nine yards. I think that teams are going to be going after him more. And I think that if they continue to use him as the focal point on their offense, that's going to create problems. And I liken it a lot to Texas's problem with Sam Ellinger. If you put all your eggs in the Bryce Perkins basket, what happens if he goes down their backup? Brennan Armstrong is, is a serviceable guy, but, um, I don't have a lot of high hopes on somebody on a quarterback who wears number 98 on your roster. So, um, (laughs) But uh, I mean, yeah. Does him, he have
1: I mean, the Does he have the single bar face mask like the kickers <laughs> do too? <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. I, and and the Rodrigo Blankenship uh, sports goggles. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um. So Virginia's offense—they were sixth in third down conversions last year, which really helped them out. 28th in pass efficiency offense, against which which is a big part due to Perkins. But they're mediocre in most other offensive categories, and they lose their their top rusher Jordan Ellis. They bring back PK Kier. Um, but, you know, I mean, you look at the, the top three returning rush guys, two of them are quarterbacks, and that includes their backup, Brennan Armstrong. So their number three returning rusher only ran the ball nine times for 76 yards, and, again, that's your backup quarterback. So um, the, the starter that had a pretty good spring is Wayne Tua Lapapa, who goes 5'9", 200 pounds. He's a physical back. If he can emerge and have a breakout year, then I think Virginia's chances are better, but I'm going to have to believe it when I see it. Um, so I worry about their run game. I worry about their offensive line in the pass game. They were 86 in the country in sacks allowed last year despite Perkins' athletic ability. So if they can't protect him inside or outside of the pocket, that's going to make things more difficult, and that's going to uh, make UVA fans cringe a lot of times when that contact comes Perkins' way. But their offensive line does return four starters plus Penn State transfer Alex Gellerstadt. So I think that O-line is going to be a, uh, an area of strength. But at receiver... They do get a couple guys on the receiver or on the transfer market. I I really like Joe Reed. I think that he's going to be one of the best kept secrets coming into the ACC this year, not only as a receiver, but as a special teams threat. He returned a kick return for a touchdown last year and ran 27.2 yards per pop on kick returns a year ago. Defensively is going to be the trademark of UVA. And again, Bronco Mendenhall is your head coach. He's a defensive minded guy. One of the best coordinators in the country when he was working that job out at BYU 72% of their production on defense returns, so they should be pretty good. Their points per game has gone down the last three years. And last year, they averaged 20 points per game given up. So if it drops even more obviously it's going to be a pretty damn good team and they should win the coastal, but that's going to be hard to match, especially given the elevated level of offensive play in the ACC this year. Um, And if they do win the coastal, if they do go to the ACC championship and that defense gets even better than they were last year, you have to wonder, is Bronco going to stay here? Or is he going to maybe go to greener pastures in uh, a, a power five school that might have a bit more resources? They were top 40 in scoring defense a year ago. Uh, They finished 21st and also limiting explosive plays. They were 40th. They were very good in the back seven, and they're headlined by All American corner Bryce Hall. 22 passes broken up last year to go along with um, uh, looking for the number of interceptions. Well, two interceptions. But yeah, but I mean, that's pretty damn good considering that a lot of teams were not throwing his way in the second half of the season. Hall combined with Snowden and Nelson were among the ACC's leaders in PBUs. They had 39 pass breakups between those three. So averaging 13 pass breakups per guy, that's awesome. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Yeah. Uh, Inside linebacker Jordan Mack was the fourth highest returning tackler in the ACC coming back this year. Where they need to get better is creating pressure up front. Nobody returning had more than two and a half sacks a year ago. And also in red zone defense, they were 82nd. So as good as their defense was, once they had to lock down inside the 20, they were not that great BIP. So, and I know that that sometimes can be a deceiving stat because if your number of opportunities is limited, even if you're giving up scores, if you're only letting your opponents in the red zone under 30 times in the season, that's pretty good in its own right. But again, if that number goes up and and your percentage is not that high, that's obviously going to translate into the scoreboard. So. Again, I I just see Virginia as not quite there yet simply because I, I'm not sold on their run game and I'm not sold on the depth at wide receiver. You know, So if they have an injury, and I, I know everybody says, well, you can't predict injuries and you can't throw that in. Well, I think you have to. I think that it has to be a concern. Um, but even if everybody stays healthy, I'm still not sold on the Virginia Cavaliers being that dominant coastal team that's going to run away with it like a lot of uh prognosticators are jumping on that bandwagon. So I see him going 8 and 4, 5 and 3 in conference. I think that their losses um I think they lose the opening weekend at Pitt, believe it or not. I think going out to Heinz Field, Pat Narduzzi playing a home game, uh defending that coastal championship from a year ago. I think that he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because a lot of people are writing off Pitt right away. I think that there's questions that they have which we'll get to shortly. Um I think that Virginia drops that game just because I think the preseason hype might be they're going to be looking past the Pitt Panthers, even with as good a coach as Bronco Mendenhall is. I think they lose to Florida State two weeks later, and I think they lose to Notre Dame out in South Bend. So I think that going into their first bye week, Virginia hobbles into a two and three record and they drop out of the rankings. Then I think they lose at Miami after the bye, and then they went out to finish eight and four, five and three. So their losses again coming to Pitt, Florida State, Notre Dame, and Miami. So a brutal start. Um, or a, 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 uh, a, wounded start to, to begin the year, but then they get an easier back half of the schedule. They have Liberty the week before Virginia tech. And I think that they finally break that skid against the Hokies and win the Commonwealth cup, which is really going to be the biggest game for UVA fans. Cause they're just itching and dying to shut up Hokie fans, at least for uh, one year. But so,
1: yep. And I have the, I have the Cavaliers actually as my number two chappy, um, I'm with you on Bryce Perkins. I think that he is going to be obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the conference this year. What impressed me more so than his run pass uh, ability was the fact that he completed 64.5% of his passes last year. Um, So you mentioned he has pretty similar stats to Ryan Willis. And like I mentioned, I'm a fan of Willis, but I do like the fact that Um, he completed about 7% more of his passes than Willis did. And obviously had about 600 more rushing yards on the ground. But like you said, you get into that mode to where he's known as a run pass option. I don't like their, the running backs at return. So do they have more of him as, uh, do they have more quarterback designed runs? Um, and does he get into the, do they rely on Bryce Perkins too much? I, I like the, rec- the receivers that they return this year. They return their second through fourth options from last year. And I'm with you. I think that uh, Joe Reed could have a really big season this year. He averaged 18.6 yards per catch last year, hauled in seven touchdowns to go with that as well. Um, but like I mentioned, running back's going to be tricky to find a replacement as no rusher topped 100 yards last year over the entire season. And a um, couple guys averaged lower than four yards per carry. Um, that, that offensive line should look pretty good this year, and I think that uh, Perkins keeps the offense humming just good enough. Where I really like the the um, Cavaliers more so than the Hokies is I like that defense. Uh, now, last year they finished ranked in the top 25, scoring D in total D. They return seven starters and will be very good in their back eight. At linebacker, they get three starters to return and another key contributor. I like uh, Charles Snowden and Jordan Mack, and I think both could challenge for eight all-ACC honors. And in the secondary, despite losing one, Thornhill, um, like you said, they got a late Christmas present last year when Bryce Hall decided to return. Unbelievable amount of passes broken up. I think that he could challenge for more picks this year, despite the fact that teams will be throwing away from him. But that just leads to more opportunities for guys like Brenton Nelson, Darius Bratton. And there's a lot of buzz around Joey Blunt uh, coming in and picking up where uh, Juan Thornhill left off. So the defensive line is going to be the weakness of the defense once again. But that was the case last year, and they had pretty good overall results. Um, Eli Handback returns. And uh, he aims to, to anchor that, that unit once again. So I, I have Virginia finishing 9-3, and 6-2 and two in the conference. Um, same record for both overall and in the conference as Virginia Tech. I have Virginia also losing to Notre Dame, just like Virginia Tech, and losing to Miami. But I do have the Cavaliers winning that last game similarly to you. I think it benefits them greatly that they, they played Liberty the week before. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not sold on Pitt this year, so I think that that's a win out of the gate. I think that their game against Florida State is going to be one of the better games of the entire ACC this year uh, in the third yeah. week of the season. And I think that they catch Florida State at a good time because it's still really early in the season after Florida State's coming off the, uh, the hangover that they had from last year. So I like Virginia. So you haven't
0: beaten the Noles, huh?
1: I, I do. So okay, um okay. so yeah, I, I like them to finish nine and three, six and two. They get the tiebreaker over Virginia Tech and fall just below Miami having losing to or losing to them in the regular season.
0: Okay, so let's get to your number four team. Who do you like fourth in the coastal?
1: Number four, I am and I just touched upon this team. I'm gonna go with the Pitt Panthers, but I don't like um what I see going into the season and it, it's more so a a war of attrition in regards to the last four teams of this conference for me. Um, essentially, I like Pitt going six and six this year, only four and four in the conference, and and here's why. Um, I think Pitt could be in in some major trouble on offense. They return only four starters on that side of the ball, and they're going to be looking for help at every level. Their strength's going to be at wide receiver, uh, even though they lose Rafael uh, Arajo Lopez. They do return Taysir Mack and Maurice French. <laughs> um, French is, at uh, French is fast and dangerous as both a receiver and a, and a, uh, uh, return man. And I think that he's their lone dynamic threat on that offense. They returned Kenny Pickett at quarterback, but I'm not really impressed with him. He's solid as a quarterback, but not really great at anything. And certainly not a quarterback that you can count on to win you a game on his own. And the offense, the offense takes their biggest hits at the most crucial positions for an offense like this. At uh, running back and offensive line, they return only one starting offensive lineman and they lose their pair of thousand yard rushers, Kadre Allison and Darren Hall, who were really kind of directly responsible for that run that the Panthers went on last year after starting off slow. Yeah. Um, defensively, six starters returned for them on a D that really had it, its ups and downs last year and finished middle of the pack in the ACC and a lot of the cat, uh, major categories. So they return five of their top eight tacklers. And they return the most disruptive player, Rashad Weaver, uh, who had six and a half sacks and 14 tackles for loss. He should be first team all ACC this year. He's joined by Patrick Jones, who also added four sacks himself and looks to give Pitt a pretty uh, decent um, disruptive pass rush this year. But linebacker looks thin as they lost three key guys from last year. And um, uh, Elias Reynolds is the lone returning starter to that unit. I do kind of like their secondary and think they could be in good hands with safety DeMar Hamlin, who led the team in tackles, and cornerback Dane Jackson, who led the team with 14 passes broken up. And there's some big things that are expected out of sophomore Paris Ford in the secondary, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that this could be the strength of the D. But for a team that finished 121st in passing last year, 18th in rushing, they lose way too much on this offense. That makes me think that they're going to improve anything from that pedestrian performance that they had last year. That D is going to keep them in some games this year, but I think the offense is even worse, and they have a brutal non-conference schedule that wears them down as they start off. um, Like you mentioned, they're they're at home against Virginia, but then they have a sneaky tough game at home against Ohio, and the Bobcats are always dangerous um, under Frank Solich. They then travel to Penn State, they host UCF, and then they have lowly Delaware. What saves the Panthers from... uh, to potentially going to a bowl this year is they have one of the softer conference schedules in the ACC. So I have them beating up on teams like Duke, North Carolina, Boston college. Um, And so I have them going six and six overall four and four in the conference. But like I said, that's not too great for a fourth team in the conference, which kind of tips my hat to what I think the rest of the coastal is going to be like. So Pitt comes in at my number four Chappie. Yep. I have them. Fourth
0: as well, and I have in the same exact record: six and six, four and four. I think we differ on a couple different or on a couple losses and wins, but um, yeah, Pitt is to start off. I love Pat Narduzzi. If I was building a program, I would definitely have him on my staff. I don't know if I would have him as my head coach, but he's he brings a lot of energy. He brings that uh, we're not afraid of anybody mentality, and I think we saw that last year on their sneaky run to the, to the coastal championship. Now being a Northwestern guy, everybody talked about how the hell did Northwestern win the West?
1: And I was <laughs> screaming,
0: how the hell did Pittsburgh win the coastal? Exactly. Because, uh, you know, Northwestern played great defense. Um, but Pitt, their defense didn't finish in the top 40 in any relevant defensive category. Right. Their offense was nothing to speak of except for their 2000 yard rushers, Ellison, uh, and, uh, and hall, um, but, you know, so I guess that was the trade-off. Northwestern had zero run game and a great defense. And uh, Pitt had a great run game and not a great defense. So um, they were in the 70s and 80s in some defensive categories, which is, again, kind of uncharacteristic of a Pat Narduzzi coached team. And he made it a point to say that they were going to get that cleaned up and they were going to be better on defense this year. He took some personal pride hits on that one. Um so, offensively, 64% of their production returns. They were the 18th best rush offense last year, but like I talked about and you mentioned, they lost both of their great backs and four offensive linemen. They do return an all-conference center and Jimmy Morrissey, but you know outside of that, they're kind of piecing together an offensive line with some transfers. They get Nolan Ulysio from Michigan. Uh, they've got some younger guys that are that are uh, expected to step in and, and try and piece something together, but that was one of the big concerns this spring was at the end of spring ball, they still were really scratching their heads about, you know, who are we going to put together on this bubble gum and, and popsicle stick offensive line? So they were, they were a very low scoring offense a year ago, poor passing game, 106 in pass efficiency offense, 97th and third down conversions. So my question is, which Kenny Pickett is going to show up? Is it going to be the rising star we saw during his freshman year, or is it going to be the average passing quarterback from last year? Um. Now, they may have one of the more underrated wide receiver groups in the ACC, um, and offense in general will be underrated, I think, as uh, we're going to see a good year from Trey Tipton, a redshirt senior, he, uh, you know, coaches were raving about the chemistry between he and Kenny Pickett. So, you know, don't be surprised to see Tipton have a a first or second team All ACC type year at receiver. You talked about Tissier Mack and Maurice French, who are <laughs> going to be, you know, you know they've already established themselves. And I like the hire of offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, who was the head coach at UMass the last few years, and he was also at Florida State for some time. I think that's going to be an upgrade over Sean Payton from uh, or. Yeah, I think Sean Payton. Uh, no, he's a Saints guy. Um, Sean, um, uh, it'll, it'll come to me, but uh, <laughs> Sean Watson. Gotcha. Sean is the guy. Okay, yeah. Um, so getting to the strength of that team, defensively, 64% uh, return. Pat Narduzzi is all about defense, and, and that's always going to be the cornerstone. So when they dropped a little bit last year, this is where they're going to need to pick up the slack. So I think that they they will play better and like you said I'm really sold on their secondary Jason Pinnock and Jane Dack, or Dane Jackson are solid corners and their safeties Hamlin and I like Ford as well I think that you know there's a lot riding on him and and I think that those two should make a good umbrella up top they're all solid tacklers and I really really like Rashad Weaver um, he's an all-conference defensive end, in my opinion, and kind of like the Big Ten, the ACC has a lot of good defensive ends in this group this year, and Weaver is no exception. Six and a half sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss, ten quarterback hurries, should be one of the ACC's best. Um, you know, and we talked about French. Uh, he can also take, you know, some some scores to the house on uh, special teams. <laughs> he took two kick returns back to pay dirt a year ago. So, you know, again, I, I, I like them fourth, six and six, four and four. I have them beating Virginia. I think that we're going to see Pat Narduzzi kind of uh, pull out all the stops and, and maybe make some trickeration type plays and and some, you know, wow uh, gimmick type stuff to, to do whatever they can to get that first conference win over UVA in their opener. But I have them losing to Ohio, losing at Penn state. I do have him beating UCF in week four. I, I'm just not sold on UCF being as strong, and I think that um, that secondary is going to be, be good enough to kind of keep UCF in check. I don't know. I just I see that as a win for Pitt in that game, but I have him losing three straight to Syracuse, Miami, and Georgia Tech, believe it or not, out in Atlanta, and then losing at Virginia Tech as well, so giving him four losses in conference, six overall. They're my fourth team. Um Let's, uh, let's kind of wrap up the you know 5, 6, and 7 in the Coastal here a bit. Sure. So number, number 5, I've got North Carolina. Just kind of quick hitters here. I have them going 5 and 7, 2 and 6 in ACC play. Clearly the best offseason coaching hires in Mac Brown, Phil Longo, and Jay Bateman. I think that North Carolina got the best group of coaches. They also got uh, Tim Brewster and Dre Bly. I think that this is going to be a, a team to watch out for maybe in a couple of years offensively, 81% of their production returns. Good offensive line. They gave up the 7th fewest sacks a year ago, 43rd fewest tackles for loss. They've got three really good running backs that are, are going to be on their roster this year, and that's going to be the strength of their team. Javante Williams, Antonio Williams, who's a transfer from Ohio State. And then last year's leading rusher, Michael Carter, might even be third on the depth chart when all said and done. Daz Newsome is an electric player on the outside. He's an MVP type player and could be one of those difference makers if North Carolina does transcend the five win total, which I think they get at and make it to a bowl. Defense was bad last year. They gave up big plays. They gave up a lot of points. Couldn't stop the run. Couldn't create turnovers. I think the D-line is a relative strength, but again, I use that term relatively Um, getting Crawford back from injury to team up with Stowbridge, who was a havoc maker last year. I think Jay Bateman is a home run hire at defensive coordinator, but it's going to take him a year or two to get those players kind of built into his system and getting some things figured out. So don't jump on the Mac Brown bandwagon just yet, but I think that it was a good hire for them, at least in the time being, while he's in the process of finding a successor when he will inevitably step down and retire probably in about four or five years. Um, I have them losing to Miami, Wake Forest, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and then NC State as their seven losses. Six of them coming in conference. So again, North Carolina's number five, five and seven, two and six in the conference pit.
1: Yep, I have North Carolina fifth as well. And similar to you, Uh, I like Daz Newsome at receiver. It's going to hurt losing uh, Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Curious to see who comes out on top in that quarterback race, as I know a lot of the fans are clamoring for highly rated freshman Sam Howell to start the season as QB1. Um, I think he would pair well with uh, Longo and that offense that they're going to be installing. I'm curious as to who's going to break out from that backfield. As no one uh, from this group, top 91 carries last year, Michael Carter averaged seven point yards per carry. So I'm kind of interested to see if he gets a chance to get the, uh, uh, the lead role in, in that uh, backfield defensively. I like Jason's uh, Strobridge who had five and a half sacks last year. Um, but, definitely some question marks on the uh, defensive side of the ball for the tar heels as they finished in the hundreds and scoring D rushing D and total D um, and I have them finishing five and seven three and five uh, in the conference remember they did lose five one score losses or one score games last year including yeah, two overtime losses. Um, I think that this coaching staff helps them get over the hump a little bit and obviously injuries played a big role in, into last year. So again, five and seven this year, I'm with you. I think it takes at least another year for the Tar Heels to get back to where they want to be. Uh, but I have them losing to losing their first three against South Carolina, Miami, wake forest, beating app state, losing to Clemson, beating Georgia tech, losing to Virginia tech, beating Duke, and then surprising Virginia with a win. Uh, before they're by, and then going one and two, uh, losing to Pitt and NC State, and beating Mercer to finish fifth in the Coastal.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think this is a team that really North Carolina fans could get excited for next year, especially on the defensive side, in the mm-hmm. transfer portal. They're getting guys next year like Bryce Watts from Virginia Tech, who was a starter this past year. Cameron Kelly, who was a four-star who originally committed to Auburn and transferred. Kyler McMichael, who was a four-star from Clemson who transferred uh, just recently. So, uh, you know, and then one of the coolest names in ACC football, Storm Duck, who was a uh, <laughs> is a freshman this year and enrolled early. So they're going to be good on defense next year with Jay Bateman, and then if if Sam Howell or whoever emerges at that quarterback spot. Uh, you know, Fortin's a, a sophomore this year, or maybe even a redshirt freshman. So they're going to be young and talented this year. They'll take their lumps, but I think that, you know, good things on the horizon for, for Carolina blue. So who yep. do you have six, but
1: six, I'm going to go with the Duke blue devils. Um, yep. now the, the blue devils lose a ton on offense, including their top quarterback and their top four receiving options. So, Things could slow to a bit of a halt offensively this year. Quentin Harris uh, completed only 50% of his passes, but he did have a 7-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio as he was used a lot in the red zone last year. Offensive line returns four starters, which bodes well for starting running back Deion Jackson, who ran pretty well last year, 840 yards and four touchdowns. But Duke finished 11th in the ACC in rushing last year and 7th in passing. They might be forced to run the ball more this year given everything that they lost in the passing game, but they could find themselves finishing lower than both of those uh, this year due to the fact that their passing game may not be very good, which could then in turn affect the running game. The defense actually returns eight starters from last year. They get back all four along the defensive line, including tux, top sack guy Victor uh, Dumekeje, and they return five in the secondary who started last year. Um, Michael Carter and Marquise Waters combined for 10 pass break, uh, passes broken up, but uh, Linebacker going to really be hurting as they lose Ben Humphreys and Joe Giles Harris, which uh, were two of the heart and soul guys of that defense. So I have Duke going two and ten this year, unfortunately, because I do like David Cutcliffe uh, finishing yeah. one and seven in the conference. I have their lone wins coming against North Carolina A and T and the lowly Georgia Tech uh, Yellow Jackets. Uh, so again, finishing sixth, two and ten overall, one and seven in the conference.
0: Yeah, I um. I'm with you. It's hard to write off David Cutcliffe because he's just, he's proven that he can do things at places when people uh, don't believe that he can. So, but yeah, a lot of holes on offense. They only returned 31% of their offensive production. And the biggest uh, loss obviously is Daniel Jones, not just because he was the fourth overall pick, but because, I mean, he was the heart and soul of that Duke offense, but he loses all the guys that he had to throw to and they weren't that great last year. So, um, if they, if these guys are all gone, um, and they were the guys that were starting over others who weren't good enough to supplant them. You know, that was one of the things, one of the knocks against Daniel Jones is his statistics were not as good as they could have been last year because there were drop passes, there were times when receivers could not get open, and so Jones had to do more himself as opposed to using his weapons. I'm not sold on Quentin Harris as a a quarterback in a Cutcliffe system, so I think it's going to be Chris Katranich or Gunnar Holmberg who are going to see more uh, time as the season goes on and and be more of that Cutcliffe fit. They were low, lower middle third in many offensive categories last year, which is unusual under a, a David Cutcliffe coached team, and even with Daniel Jones at the helm. They're very thin at that wide receiver position behind Aaron Young and Jake Bobo, who uh, a lot of people are pretty high on. But keep an eye on freshman Daryl Harding, who was in for the spring. He'll probably be their third receiver and and maybe one of you know Duke's bright spots next year and in the years to come, could end up leaving Durham as maybe one of the leading pass catchers in school history. There's there's a lot of buzz around him. Defensively, like you said, um, you know, decent on the defensive line, but they lost their best linebackers ever. And they also recently just got hit with the news that Mark Gilbert, their former All-ACC cornerback two years ago, is going to be out again. Um, You know, he missed last year with surgery or or with an injury, and then now he suffered a, a similar injury that I believe is going to require surgery. So they're going to be down him. They do have a, a pretty good secondary that, that is going to try it out there anyway. Michael Carter is a good safety. Dylan Singleton was probably one of their best secondary players last year. Marquise Waters is the other safety who who gives them some strength. They do get back Edgar Serenord coming back from injury last year to team up with uh, Dima KJ. So, um some good spots, but again, th- that linebacker position is going to be one to watch. Although Cutcliffe says keep an eye on Shaka Hayward, who's a redshirt freshman stepping in at middle linebacker. He was good enough to play last year, but with Giles Harris and Humphreys in the middle, you really don't want to burn a guy's redshirt because those two guys are legends in Durham. So uh, he comes in as a redshirt freshman, could contend for you know some freshman Honors and the ACC team, but I have Duke a little bit higher than you think. I have them going five and seven, two and six in conference. I have their wins coming um, against uh, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and um, uh, North Carolina A and T, and Middle Tennessee. So I'm I'm sorry, actually, I have them at uh, four and eight and uh, two and six in the in the ACC. So they're um, they're my. They're my or they're my 16.
1: Okay, then that must mean that we both have uh, Georgia Tech at uh, number seven then, Chappie. Yep. So uh, for the Yellow Jackets, they make the biggest transition of any team this year uh, as they're moving from a triple option to a non-triple option uh, under Jeff Collins. Um, they return right. five starters on offense, not including Tobias Harris, uh, their, one of their quarterbacks from last year, who was their number two rusher. Um, but that, that quarterback competition is going to extend through the summer and you have to figure that Oliver is certainly not guaranteed any, uh, starting spot this year, given the fact that they're changing from the triple option. Um, unfortunately for tech, three of those offense, three of those, uh, starters coming back are offensive linemen who will kind of need to relearn the position essentially as it, you know, especially as it relates to pass blocking and even more unfortunate for them is the fact that Parker Braun, their best offensive lineman transferred to Texas. So he's not one of those three returning. The good news for tech is that they do return their top three running backs from last year in Jordan Mason, Jerry Howard. Um, those two, uh, guys averaged over 5.3 yards per carry. Mason actually averaged 6.1 yards per carry and had seven touchdowns. Um, so they lose their three, uh, or they lose three wide receivers this year, which might not hurt as much as other teams, given the fact that they were triple option receivers. Uh, but this could be the worst AC or offense in the ACC due to the switchover, and the defense doesn't look like they're in much better shape um they return only four this year gone are their top three tacklers and four of their top five sack producers they lose everyone in the front four they do return both starting linebackers but neither had over 50 tackles or more than three tackles for loss last year the strength of the d seemingly going to be the secondary though as they return their two best players from that unit in trace willing and tariq carpenter I think Jeff Collins did a good job at Temple, and I think he's the right guy for the Tech transition, but this year is going to be especially rough for them. I have them finishing 2-10, and 1-7 uh, with an, uh, the same record as Duke, but I do have um, Georgia Tech pulling the upset against Pitt at home following the bye week on November 2nd for their lone conference win, but that puts them low enough to finish um, in last place after they lose to Duke on October 12th. Um so again 2 and 10 overall 1 and 7 in the conference.
0: We match exactly. I have them <laughs> at the same spot, same record and the same wins against Pitt after the bye and against the Citadel. Oh yeah. Which actually gave Alabama a run for their money in the first half last That's year. That's right. Um yeah, I just I I agree. I think Collins is a is a good hire for Georgia Tech. He was so excited to to come back home to Atlanta. He, this is, you know, what he says is his dream job, but I guess um, any coach getting their first power five job, you could say is a dream job to some respect. But I think, be, you know, being from the area, it's it's more special to him. Mm-hmm. He brings a lot of high energy. He's, he's going to be very aggressive. And I think, you know, he's already starting to put his stamp and starting to ruffle some feathers in the ACC to the point where he doesn't really care if he is or not. Uh, I, I kind of liken him to a poor man's PJ Fleck of the South because, you know, he's very gimmicky. He's trying to, uh, you know, generate or, or rebrand Georgia tech in ways that maybe more old fashioned coaches wouldn't try and touch, especially in, in that conference. But, um, yeah, the, the, the transition from triple option over to kind of a wide open, uh, more of a passing scheme, you know, uh, Georgia tech, I think threw the ball about less than 20% of the time last year, they threw the ball 60% of the time under Collins at temple his last couple of years. So, um, I have not heard anybody, anybody in Georgia Tech circles suggest that Tobias Oliver is even in the running for quarterback. Even though um, on paper he is, I think he's going to be transitioned to more of kind of that, um, you know, wildcat type uh, backfield guy. You know, they might move him to the slot. You know, he's a good running athlete, uh, you know, more of an option quarterback, obviously. So if he's lining up at quarterback, I think that really spells trouble and worry for the Georgia Tech quarterback room. All signs point to Lucas Johnson being the the freshman that takes over. Uh, he's in competition with James Graham, although um, Graham got into some off-the-field issues, so he may not even be eligible to start the season. We'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. But um, Johnson goes 6'3", 215. Looks to be a, a pretty good fit in Collins' passing-style offense. Um I think whoever plays quarterback is going to have a lot of growing pains this year. So look for some lumps early, but I do like the receivers. I think that they're going to get better as the season goes on. Malachi Carter and Amarion Brown are two names to watch on the outside. They also get Marquez Ezard, who's a redshirt, uh, or I'm sorry, who's a transfer from Miami. So um, if he's eligible to play this year, I can't remember if he got a waiver or not, but um, look for him to uh, make a name for himself eventually. Defensively, Collins is a, is more of a defensive coach than he is offensively, but I still see things being very rough on the defense, especially at defensive line. They actually had to convert some offensive linemen and give them practice at the uh, defensive tackle and defensive end positions this spring. Uh, just very, very thin at that spot. They're in the bottom 30 in most defensive uh, categories, especially yards per play, which means they gave up big plays last year. They did not sack the quarterback very effectively, and they didn't defend the pass very well. But even in saying that, I agree with you. I think that their secondary is going to be a, a, a position of strength. They get Miles Sims coming over from Michigan, who uh, was you know a top twenty-five corner, uh, you know rated out of high school. Trey Swilling is Ken's son. I think that he's a he's a good hitter, six foot, two hundred pounds at corner. So he's a big body, and Wanye Thomas. Was given the number one jersey. He brings a little bit of swagger, a little bit of excitement. He's a good special teams player as well. So I think that he's going to be a name who uh, you'll see flashing around on the screen. And he'll be fun to watch. Um, so they'll be better than some people think in terms of the secondary. But, um, you know, it's going to take some time. They're going to need to get their their style of players in. But I'm with you. I have them finishing in the bottom of the Coastal going 2-10. and 10. One and seven in conference, pulling that "quote unquote" upset against Pitt on November second. Yep. So you want to read off your one through seven in the coastal, so our our listeners can hear that again.
1: Yep. At the the top of the coastal, I have Miami finishing ten and two, seven and one in the conference, followed by Virginia at nine and three, six and two in the conference, getting the tiebreaker after beating Virginia Tech in the last game of the year. Number three, I have Virginia Tech nine and three, six and two in the conference. Four, I have Pitt at six and six, four and four in the conference. Fifth, I have North Carolina at five and seven, three and five in the conference. Duke, I have at six with two and ten overall, one and seven in the conference, but winning the tiebreaker over Georgia Tech head to head. And Georgia Tech rounding it out, two and ten overall, one and seven in the conference.
0: Yeah, and we're pretty much similar um, in our top three, and then we're exact in our uh, bottom four. So I have Virginia Tech at First in the coastal, ten and three, or I'm sorry, ten and two, six and two, uh, in regular season play. Number two, Miami, nine and three, six and two. Virginia at number three at eight and four, five and three in conference play. Pitt at four, going six and six, four and four in conference. North Carolina five, just missing out on a bowl at five and seven, two and six. Although they could qualify for that um, waiver to make a bowl if not enough teams qualify at a at a good five and seven. Duke at 6, 4-8, and 2-6 and six in conference, losing that head-to-head against North Carolina. And then 7th is Georgia Tech going 2-10, 1-7 in ACC play. So stay tuned for part two of our ACC preview, and we're going to look at the Atlantic Division coming up in just a couple of days. So don't miss that.